Amen. So we're continuing our, our, story, our series in Genesis today, and I'm thankful for Brant for continuing that last week that we just kept on trucking. Uh, and like he said, you know, I just passed off the first murder to the guest preacher, let him handle that. And then uh, I'll come back and talk about a story we all know. That sounds like a good idea. Um, so uh, anyway, we, we've been in Genesis and we started off in chapter one, seeing the, how good God was and how powerful he is in creation and then how intimately he loved us. And then in chapter three, we see the fall happen. We see the first sin and, and the effects that it has. And we talked about how the enemy still uses the same tactics for temptation that he did then and how we can resist those temptations. And then Brant talked last week about the effects of sin um, that it can have on our worship, the effects that sin can have of shame on us, just the way that sin can impact us that we saw happen in the life of Cain. And this week we're going to pick up in chapter 5, and we're going to be in verses, or chapter 5 through 8 today. And it's a story that's pretty familiar for everyone in the room, I, I would think. This is, we're going to be talking about the story of Noah. But I want us to remember what we prayed the week before we started this new year. That the things that we talk about in this place would be real to us. That God would make himself, make his word, make these things very real in our lives. And I think we hear the story of Noah, and even if I just say that, you might have even started to tune out a little bit and think, oh yeah, I know Noah, I know that story. But I want us to remember this morning that this is a real story that happened to a real person. I think because of the familiarity of it, we can kind of lump it in with fairy tales, and we think it's like... Hansel and Gretel or Little Red Riding Hood. It's just a story we've heard our whole lives and we don't think about the fact that this was a real thing that happened to a real person just like you, just like us, as a real, breathing, living, human, historical person that this happened to. And I want us to see that this morning, that if the Bible is true, we have to acknowledge the story of Noah as very real. So we pick up in chapter 5, and I'm going to kind of go through this a little quickly, the, the genealogy. We see these things, um, you know, so-and-so had this son, and, and we see how, how these men lived. And I want to uh, pause at two things. We see Enoch, who is a man who was so godly that he didn't die. It says, Enoch walked with God, and he was no more, or he, and he was not because God took him. And we see that again in Hebrews, that it mentions that, that Enoch didn't die, that he just was taken up to heaven by God that he didn't die. And then his son, Methuselah, who you might have heard of, is the oldest man who ever lived. He lived 969 years, oldest man ever. And there's actually thought that he might have died because of the flood. So 969 years. And just, just for reference, 969 years ago was the year 1051. So if Methuselah were alive today... About halfway through his life, he would have seen Columbus sail to, the, to the America. Because that was 1492. Columbus sailed the ocean blue, as we all know that rhyme. And so he was born in 1051, technically still the Middle Ages, 500 years before Shakespeare was born, 400 years before Columbus sailed, and then he would still be alive today. Just, just for frame of reference of how old this guy was. That's pretty incredible. He was 969 years old. Anyway, we see the end of chapter 5 that Noah has three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. After he was 500 years old, he has these three children. You're talking about getting a late start. 
So I'm going to pick up in chapter 6. And we're going to pick up in chapter 6, verse 5. It says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, that every intention of the thoughts of his hearts was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created in the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. First thing I want us to see today is how much God hates sin. God hates sin. And I know that's a strong word, but we see in Scripture it tells us to abhor what is evil, which is another word for hate. So I think it's safe to say that God hates sin. And I think this word sin is something that we have lowered our value of. We've lowered our view of the word sin. The word sin is not quite as bad as I think that God sees it because we've created in our flesh these kind of different levels of sin, right? We've made some sin worse than others. But in God's eyes, sin is all sin. Again, there's different punishments for different sins, but sin is sin in the eyes of God. And God hates sin. But we've created this this thing of making some things less bad or more bad. Maybe we gossiped just a little bit or we told a little lie. But I'll ask you, if you're really looking at a spectrum of sin to good, how much good is in a little lie? None. It's all evil. How much good is in a little gossip? None. It's 100% Sin, And we have to see sin that way. It's, it's a very black and white thing. It's either a sin or it's not. There's not this gray, little white lie. It's sin is sin. And why does God hate sin? Because it is the opposite of Him. Anything that is sin is the opposite of God. Any disobedience in our heart, our mind, our body is sin. So God, looking on creation... He sees what he has made good. He made it perfect. We see the end of creation. He says it is very good. And he looks down in chapter 6 and he sees that every intention of the thoughts of man's heart was only evil continually. Again, I want to point out how redundant that sentence is to tell you how completely evil mankind was. Every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Not just only evil, only evil always. The intentions of man's heart were only evil. And it broke God's heart to see sin, which is the opposite of him, overtake his creation that we had turned completely against God and were seeking things that were only the opposite of God. And he's brokenhearted. And he's so angry with sin that in order to get rid of it, he's just going to wipe out life on the earth. But then he sees Noah. And through Noah, he can cleanse the planet of unrighteousness and start over with Noah and his family. So the God and his hatred of sin is why he does this. I think it can kind of be a hard thing to see when we look at this this book of 
God wiping out all of humanity, but in reality, he's saving humanity through Noah. Let's pick up in uh, verse 9. It says, These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits, cubits, its breadth, 50 cubits, and its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof over the ark and finish it to a cubit above and set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which the breath of life in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die, but I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds according to their kind, of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing on the ground according to its kind. Two of every sort shall come into you and, you, and to keep them alive." Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. I'm glad Noah was good at following directions. I don't think this would be something that we're just going to eyeball and be like, I think that's about right. I think Noah was very carefully measuring everything, knowing that God was about to destroy all living things very carefully measuring a cubit. So a cubit, I know that's a word that it used there. Uh, it's a unit of measure that everybody has a cubit. It's from your elbow to the tips of your fingers. That's a cubit. That was the, the measuring, that was the ruler of the day. And it's on average between 18 and 21 inches. And so God's giving him this very specific thing to measure. And I'm wondering if Noah's like, I'm the only one who can measure this. I can hire other people to build the boat, but I've got to be the one. It's my cubit. I've got to be sure that this ark is exactly right. And I think it's, I love Noah's obedience here, that he doesn't ask a ton of follow-up questions. It doesn't tell us that. It, it doesn't say that he's like, okay, okay, I know you said all creeping things that creep on the ground, but like, I really don't like snakes. Do I got to bring them? Like, he didn't ask any follow-up questions. He didn't say, I know you said gopher wood, which, just so you know, nobody knows what gopher wood is. It's, we don't have a word for that, so nobody knows. But if he had been like, I got all these pine trees here. Can I just use those? I think those will be better. You know, Noah was very obedient. And I, for one, am thankful because this all depended on him, right? All of humanity depended on his obedience, and he just obeys. And we see this later in Genesis with Abraham too. These men who believed God was so real that they acted without any hesitation. They obeyed diligently because they believed. And that's the first thing I want us to see today is the necessity of obedience. The necessity of obedience for our lives. Again, I think this is one of the biggest decisions made in history by Noah to obey. 
Because, sure, you've got Adam and Eve, and they made a terrible decision that impacted all of humanity. But what if Noah hadn't obeyed? Uh-oh. <laughs> We're not here. If Noah doesn't obey, if Noah doesn't say, okay, God, I'll build the boat, we don't know what would have happened. But chances are, it would just all would have been wiped out. So I'm really thankful that Noah just obeyed and was like, yep, you got it, God. I'll do it. I got my cubic measurer here, and I'll go ahead and cut some down some gopher wood, whatever that is. If he said, I don't have the time. I've got these three boys I've got to worry about. I've got to take care of my land and grow my food. I don't know if I'll be able to get to the, to the ark. Or if he had said, well, if I don't do it, someone else will. God probably has someone who could do that a lot better than I could. Or maybe he says, ah, that might not have been God. I, it could have just been something weird I ate. I, it might not have been God that said that. Or It just sounds weird. I don't want to do that. Or if he had cared about what people around him had thought. that He's building this giant boat and his family and friends might have been like, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? But he didn't. He just obeyed. But do those excuses sound familiar to you? I don't have time. I've got other things I've got to worry about. If I don't do it, somebody else will. Maybe that wasn't God. That's too weird. Caring about what other people think. Those excuses sound familiar? Sometimes I think we don't obey because of our pride or because we're too busy or we aren't sure God meant it. But all of humanity hung on Noah's obedience. And what is depending on your obedience? What is dependent on your ability to say yes to God? Is it the faith and eternity of your children, the eternity of your coworkers? What if it's not somebody else's job what if it doesn't get done without you? What if that was the case with Noah? If he didn't do it, it didn't get done. The same can be said of us. What things in our life are we not obedient in that, that we think, oh, if I don't tell them about Jesus, somebody else will. But what if they don't? What if that's your job? And that person's eternity hangs on your ability to be obedient. I think we come up with a lot of excuses for what we want to do. And I think frequently we seek the minimum for God. We, we think, I'm going to live my life and, oh, let me, let me put some God in as well. I've got an illustration that doesn't involve food today, which I think you guys will appreciate. Um, but it does involve toys because I have two kids now, so I have a lot of toys. So that's what we have. So I want us to think about this picture being your life. And this football is God. This is your faith. This is your relationship with God. If you've got everything full and then you try to fit this in, it's, it doesn't really fit in. But if we take out everything, I hope things don't just roll off of this thing. If we take out and we start over from the beginning, we, we empty ourselves and we start here. We start and we put God in first. And then maybe we put in our, our education. That's foundational. That's really important. And 
Then maybe we put in our jobs that we have that we are making sure that we're getting those things done. And maybe you put in what you're going to eat. You've got your food there. Uh, maybe you've got your, your house. And then you've got, um, you've got your entertainment, you know, your, your music and your entertainment. And, and then you've got your, your friends and your family. And you see how it all fits now. And why does it fit? Because we started with the foundation. And you know what? With this, you never have to worry about if this is going to be in there because it's the foundation. It's the first thing. It is the most important thing. And we make that the foundation. We make God, we make our relationship, our obedience with him the first thing in our life. And we see how the rest will also fit. But sometimes if we fill it up with other things, we might not be able to squeeze God in if that's our afterthought, if it's not our priority. If we sought after God's will first, we wouldn't have excuses for not being obedient. We would have the excuse of being obedient for not doing other things. I can't do that because it wouldn't be spending my money wisely. I wouldn't be able to tithe if I, if I spent this money. People might think I'm crazy, but it's okay because I want to be obedient. I don't care what people think because my focus is on being obedient. I can't work seven days a week because I want to be obedient in the Sabbath. Instead of the other way, I can't be obedient in the Sabbath because I have to work. If, if we put things this way, obedience is our excuse for not doing other things. Zeke is... Almost two and a half. He'll be two and a half next month. And uh, the other day, so he's, he's recently incorporated the word no into his vocabulary. He's known the word no, but he hasn't used it as much as he uses it now. The other day I told him, I said, all right, buddy, hey, let's go brush our teeth. And his response was, no, stop talking. So we had another child to replace him. Um, <laughs> No, his, his response was, no, stop talking. I'm playing with cars. And I really, I said, I said, I said, he, first he said, no, stop talking. I said, I was just, and my brain went, does not compute. What did, and I said, what did you just say to me? And he said, no, stop talking. I'm playing with cars. And I just didn't get it. I didn't know what to do with this thing who now thinks that he has the ability to tell me no, the one who provides him with a house, with clothes, with food, who changes his diaper. He doesn't even know how to use a toilet, but he has the audacity to tell me, no, stop talking. But how often do we tell God, no, stop talking? I'm playing with cars right now. How often do we do that to the one who created the universe? The one that created the job that you have. The one that created everything that you've ever used or ever will use. That sometimes we say, no, stop talking. I'm playing with cars. Because if we look at the stuff that we focus on, even the good stuff, if it's not kingdom related, if it's not eternal, it's playing with Hot Wheels. How often is that our excuse that we say, you know, God, I can't right now. I'm playing with Hot Wheels. 
that this thing that we might think is really important, because trust me, playing with Hot Wheels is a big deal to that two and a half year old. But in the grand scheme of things, playing with Hot Wheels is not a big deal. I think that's what we do to God sometimes is we say, no, stop talking, I'm playing with cars. It's foolishness to think that what we're doing is more important than what God has called us to do. We should actively be seeking how to be the most obedient we can instead of trying to do the minimum to skirt into that. Yeah, I obey. I do church things. Or is God at the root, at the foundation of who you are, what makes up your being, everything you do? Is he the foundation or is he something you try to squeeze in a little bit at the top. Let's continue, uh, sorry. God, out of his mouth, out of the mouth of God through Jesus, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 31, it says, Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, the lost, seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Is that how we live? Do we, do we believe this verse is true? Or do we believe if I don't take care of these things, they're not going to get done. I'll get to the God stuff later. But hear from the mouth of God Himself. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else is going to be taken care of. If that's the thing you seek over everything else. So we see Noah, to pick back up, he, he's obedient. And he carries out what, what God has said and he builds this boat that's about 500 feet long, about 85 feet wide, about 50 feet high, longer than a football field and about as tall as a three-story building and 85 feet wide. I didn't find something for that. It's big. This is a giant boat. The Noah is obedient. Let's pick up in, in chapter 7, verses 11 and 12. It says, in the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth and the windows of the heavens were opened and rain fell upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. There's flood stories in a lot of different cultures. You can go pretty much anywhere in the world, any culture, any religion, and they've got some kind of flood story, which to me shows how true it is. And if you look at specifically the Bible, in this account of a flood story, the Bible wants you to know it's real, so it gives you very specific details. Each one of these things is given almost a date. The 600th year of Noah's life in the second month on the 17th day of the month. I'm surprised it didn't tell you what time of day it was. The Bible is like, no, no, this is real. It really happened on this month, this day. This is when it happened. I think that's cool that Scripture wants us to see how real it is. Because you're telling a lie, you, you get real vague. And you're like, oh, it was a couple weeks ago. you know. But telling the truth, you can say, on this very specific day, this happened. So the rain comes. And it's not just rain. It says, the fountains of the great deep burst forth. Water is exploding from the ground. And it says uh, it's a widely held belief 
that it had never rained before this. This is the first time it had rained. So you can imagine what kind of pouring came from heaven. Just this gush of water, both from above and below. As Forrest Gump says, there was stinging rain, big old fat rain, rain that flew in sideways. Rain to seem come up straight up from the ground. It's just rain, like crazy, coming up from the ground. And it continued for 40 days and 40 nights. Just absolute gush, explosion of water. To the point where the earth was covered to about 20 feet over the top of mountain peaks of water. And everything that was on the earth died. All that was left was one obedient man and his family. And two of every kind of animal to start over. God had seen in just nine generations the world grow incredibly violent and sinful and wicked. And he was heartbroken. His hatred for sin, his love of mankind, found their common ground in Noah. I want to pick up in Genesis 8, verse 13. It says, In the the 601st year, in the first month, in the first day of the month, the waters were dried from from off the earth. Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. In the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth had dried out. The rain comes for 40 days and it prevails for 110 more. Then they abate for 150 days and then it takes 70 days for the earth to dry out. Noah spent 370 days on the ark. I think when we hear the story as a kid, we just think, oh, he was in there for over a month and he came out and everything was fine and there was a rainbow. He was in there for over a year. I'm going to pick up where he he comes out of the ark in verse 20. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. Noah's first response getting off the ark was to worship. Was to offer a sacrifice of praise and atonement for sins. And he he saw that God was faithful. And we see God respond making a covenant with mankind that as long as the earth is in existence, he will continue to sustain it and us. Last thing I want us to see today is that God is faithful. God is faithful. For some reason, he didn't just wipe us all out and say, these people are terrible. Seeing all that we had done then and will ever do that God said, no, I'm going to keep them. He continued on the painful road back to the Garden of Eden that we're on now, sacrificing his son, giving to us And his faithfulness is the root of our obedience. His faithfulness is the root of our obedience. Because if we don't know that God is faithful or that he's going to do what he says he's going to do, then we might not be obedient. If we don't know that God is faithful, do we believe he is faithful? 
That when he says, seek first the kingdom of heaven and all shall be added, do we trust that? If we see God as faithful, we know no matter what he asks us to do in that obedience, that he will give us the ability to see it through. Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who gives me strength, him who strengthens me. We've all heard this verse before, but this is what it means. Is it means if God has you in a situation, if you are living obedient, whatever situation you're in, obedience, he will give you the strength to live it out. Whether you have plenty, whether you have need, whether you have tons or very little, God will strengthen you. If we are obedient, we follow what he's called us to, he will give us strength. Noah didn't get eaten by the lions that were on the ark. He didn't run out of food. He didn't die of boredom. For real, what did they do for 370 days? They didn't even have playing cards or books or anything. Like nothing. I don't, it's a lot of rock, paper, scissors. Or I guess rock, papyrus, shears or whatever they had then, you know. God called him to do something and he gave him the strength to do it. God was faithful to us even in our sin. He didn't just wipe us out. Think about that. God was faithful to you today because he saved Noah. God was faithful to you because he saved Noah. Because if he didn't save Noah, we wouldn't be here. So he is faithful to us today through what he did thousands of years ago. God is faithful. Praise him for his thankfulness. We're going to continue to see the theme of God's faithfulness as we continue in the book of Genesis over and over. We can count on and depend on God because he always follows through. He never fails and he's not going to start with you. God never fails and he won't start in your circumstance. If we trust that God is faithful, that he will give us strength, obedience becomes a natural response. Let me ask, do you believe that God is who he says he is? Do you believe that God is faithful? And are you willing to act on it? Are you willing to seek first the kingdom of heaven because you trust that he will add everything else? I challenge you to do that this morning. To not live your life and make excuses when faced with opportunities to be obedient, but to be obedient to the point of making excuses for other things. Knowing that God is worth it, he is faithful, And he will give you strength. Let's pray.